So now, as, as we look at the, uh, this Reformation, the pre-reformers are saying, I believe in truth. It's all from Scripture. And no matter what, whatever it takes, if that even means the death of me by the religious people, then so be it. And that is a reformer. That's the qualifications. What a cost that it is. Did Jesus not say something like that? He said many things. If you're not willing to hate your father, your mother, that's a tough statement, isn't it? Hate your family. What he's saying is that you're willing to give up everything, even the closest things, the closest people to you to follow Christ. Whatever it is, you're willing to do that. Now Christ, and to follow Him, is what the whole gospel truth is about, isn't it? That's quite a statement. And many people stop there today. They're not willing to go that far. Um, I'm not saying that we want to have persecution to happen. We don't want that. But anyway, that's one thing. What, the first reformer we're going to, uh, pre-reformer we're going to look at is Wycliffe. We're just going to spend a few moments with each one of these guys. You've heard of what? Wycliffe, right? Most of you guys have heard of John Wycliffe. Uh, he's an English guy. And uh, he was. These guys at this time were part of. Really, there was one church. There was a Catholic church, a Roman Catholic church. He read his scripture. He said that I want to bring the Bible to the common man, the guy who was out there uh, plowing in the fields. I want to be able to get the Word of God to him so he can understand it. That's really what his desire. Do you think he was off the mark with that? No, not at all. He had a lot to do with what is going to be called the Reformation a hundred years later. A lot to do with that. But he didn't even know that. He didn't know there was going to be a Reformation started. He doesn't know about all these things that we look back at historically and see that. But, um, you know, you think of justification by faith. He might not have really formed the idea of justification by faith. You don't see that in his writings. But he did believe in the saving grace of God. God's saving grace. It's grace that saves you. Because of reading the Scripture... He did not believe in a works-based righteousness. And that is obvious in the Catholic Church. The things that you have to do. You have to go to church. You have to say prayers. You have to um, do all of the, uh, the things that they prescribe. He saw that many of these were not biblical. And so he started becoming in disfavor by the Roman Church because he believed in using the Bible for his authority. Can you imagine that? Using the Bible for the authority? The Catholics, even today, believe the Bible is the authority, but the church is really the authority over the Bible and tradition. So really, the church is really what is the authority when it all comes down to that. Um, Anyway... When, they give peop- when people give such a high priority to the Word of God, it's where you start getting into trouble. When you put it up at the top and say, this is my authority, the very Word of God, nothing else. Anything else that agrees with that, fine, that's great. So, you know, when you, when you think of the creeds and the confessions, they're all based on Scripture, but they are not our authority. There is no church that ours authority. There is no pastor. There is no pope, bishop, what have you. That is our authority. It is the Word of God. And so that is where Wycliffe was, was at. This English preacher was to be known later as the morning star of the Reformation. Wycliffe, the morning star of the Reformation. He preached, wrote against various doctrines and practices of the Church of Rome, He translated the Bible into English. He did it. And then he sent preachers around to start preaching that word. Now that was unusual, wasn't it? That wasn't a common thing to do. Watch out, John. You're going to get into trouble. These guys that went out there were called the Lollards. And they would get God's truth by sometimes singing some of the truths of Scripture so the common man could catch a hold of those and remember those. You know, when you sing songs, you remember them. And, you know, little little tunes. Well, these Lollards were doing that. And so the common people started believing in the Word of God. Can you imagine that? They found out what the message of salvation was through the person of Jesus Christ. 
And he was a professor at Oxford University, one of the elite schools of all time, right? He started having a controversy with the Pope. Where's the Pope at? He's in Rome. That's in Italy. Uh, He's in England. He started having English and the Romans here, and the Romans are telling these English people what to do. Ah, doesn't bode well sometimes. And Wycliffe actually went along with the um, King Edward, King Edward II. He went along with him in a political thing to refuse to pay taxes to the Pope. Uh-oh. Going to run into trouble. Uh, because he did that, it helped him later on, though, as he stood firm with his nation and also uh, the Word of God. So he had royal favor. And you know what he said about the head of the church? The Roman church teaches what? Who's the head of the church? The Pope. That's, I'm not making these things up. That They will state that. They will agree with you. Yes, that's the head of the church. In, in the Scriptures, what does it say? Who's the head of the church? Christ is the head of the church. Did you know Whitworth proclaimed that? Oh, John, don't do this. You're going to get into trouble. (sighs) The whole wonder of the elect chosen by God is what Wycliffe believed in. The church is the body of Christ. It's a unity that knows nothing of popes, hierarchies, monks, friars, priests, or nuns, Wycliffe said. Nor can the salvation of the elect be affected by masses, indulgences, penance, or any other devices of priestcraft. There is nothing in the Bible, he said, about transubstantiation and pardons and absolutions, worship of images, the adoration of saints, the treasury of merits laid up at the reserve of the Pope, the distinction between venial and mortal sins, or confession to a priest. Whoa! John, you better be careful. You know what? There are Protestants today that would say, hey, listen, we're the same as the Catholic Church. We're all going the right way. You shouldn't be picking on them. And I'm sure as this goes out on the Internet, as it's being recorded, there will be some people probably very disturbed. I have to bring out the truth of what these men stood for and why I am a Protestant, why I am into Reformed theology, because I'm into Scripture and we'll get to that. But can you see all those things? How can a Protestant say, hey, they are doing and believing the same things we are when they talk about you get forgiveness because of the masses that you attend or because of the indulgences. When you pay money to the church, you can help get your relatives out. You know that's still with them today? The, the penances and the adoring of saints. You go into their church and you see all that elaborate adore there. That is Jesus Christ at, and you have the temple there. And when you partake there of the Mass, the sacrifice of the Mass, you have just crucified Christ. It continues on and on. That is abhorrent doctrine, and I will not ever give that to Rome, of saying, well, you guys are just like us. They are not. And that's why this Reformation, people died over this, and people today say, uh, I don't believe in the Reformation. And they'll say they're Protestants, they're not Catholics. And as a matter of fact, they'll say, I'd rather not call myself Protestant. I'm not protesting anything. Another reformer uh, before it happened was Jan Hus, Bohemia and Czechoslovakia. He built on the teachings of Wycliffe. Martin Luther uh, also built on the teachings of Wycliffe, although Martin Luther identified with Jan Hus because that was a little more closer to his time. Uh, But Hus had similar ideas that Wycliffe had from a different country, but he also is in the Catholic Church and he starts reading the Scripture for what it is. Guess what he finds out? The same things that Wycliffe was. And he was willing to die for the sake of the truth of the Word of God. And sure enough, after enough time of proclaiming the truth, he was burned at the stake. That's Jan Hus. He was willing to die. He had truth. There was one other one we'll, we'll cover, and you don't hear too much about him. Matter of fact, uh, most of you guys probably haven't even heard of him. This guy from Italy. Now we're getting closer to Rome, aren't we? There was actually a guy in Italy that was like these guys. Well, his name was Savonarola. He was a Florentine Dominican monk. He was horrified 
by the scandalous horror of Pope Borgia and his many children. Many children. The Pope. Okay. Hey, we believe pastors can have uh, wives. Or wife. A pastor can have a wife. (laughs) New doctrine here. Damn, that's what's going on. But what he was saying, hey, they have rules, and why does he have many children from many different wives? And that he was abhorred by that. Well, anybody should have. And what he did is he started closing the theaters in town that were so lewd, their plays and the shows that they had, the gambling dens and the racetrack, and this place that he lived in Florence. You've heard of Florence, Italy. It... It was said as to become a literal heaven on earth for the short time that this Savonarola ruled that republic as a uh, one who came from the Catholic Church. But yet, when he became 46 years old and he spoke out about the sins of some of the leaders in the Catholic Church, he was strangled and then burned alive. It's been said, had he lived Florence and not Wittenberg would have been the birthplace of the glorious Reformation. But that was not to be because God was sovereign and He said, okay, this is all set up and here's how we're going to do it. (laughs) And along comes a guy by the name of Martin Luther. A little bit about on his background. He was born in 1483. You guys still with me? Because I know sometimes either you're a history buff and you can say, hey, I love this kind of stuff. You can say, "Ah, let's get to the meat of the Word. I know, I know. But it is exciting because what we're doing is we're seeing how God weaves into a providential setting. Luther, 1483, he grew up fearing God. Now we say fearing God is good, but his fear of God was unhealthy. It was a terrible fear. He knew God created. That's pretty good for today's standards. And he also knew that God was a judge. And I mean a judge who is ready to step on you at any moment for any sin that you do. And if you don't get that confessed, you are going to hell. And that is the kind of God that Luther had. He was scared of God. Now let's turn to Romans 5.5. 5. There we go, All right, Now you're speaking, Dennis. <laughs> let's get to Scripture. Romans you know what? I'm saying Romans 5.5. 5. I'm thinking ahead here. It's Psalm 5.5. 5. Although Romans 5.5 5 would probably be really good. But at this moment it says this. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You hate all workers of sin. You hate all sinners. Luther saw that and he knew. He knew. He, you know what? He had right doctrine. He knew the depravity of man. He knew that he could not stand before a righteous God. He knew that in his family background as he was growing up. That was his knowledge about God. In a way, that is where everybody needs to be. They're blessed when they realize that they cannot bring their righteousness before a holy God. Is that right? So that's what he believed. In chapter 7, verse 11, God is a just judge. Look at this. And God is angry with the wicked every day. Now these are passages you don't read every day. But did you know that all who are workers of iniquity, all who are in sin, all who stand before Christ, before God, the judge, and who are not Christians, do you know that God is angry with them? Is that true? Did I just read that right? Yeah, it is true. That's why... Knowing Christ and knowing you're forgiven of your sin, that's been taken care of. Even though we are to have a proper fear and reverence to to recognize that we have been graced by God. We don't have to fear Him in that way as a judge who is going to stomp us down and send us to hell if we don't get it right. If that be the case, we'll never get it right. It's Him who has done that great work for us. Now, with Martin Luther knowing those passages and many, many, many other ones, he was scared of the judge. He did not want to be around God. Matter of fact, he was so terrified. He knew he'd be cast into hell. The Catholics had taught that God was a judge, so they needed a softer God. 
And their soft God is Mary. That's where Mary comes into play. Because you can ask Mary, when you're afraid to go to God, you can go to Mary and just like a mother, she will see that everything's okay and she will forgive your sins. The theology that had developed in this church and that still is there today is incredible. It just mounted and mounted over hundreds of years. Luther's view of the Heavenly Father was so skewed though. He had the same view of the Heavenly Father as he did his earthly father. And some of you might have had fathers that were not good examples. Some fathers might have been very mean. Who knows all the things that they might have done. That's how he viewed the Heavenly Father when he saw his earthly father. Uh, He was cold. He was a stern father. Wasn't loving That's the way Luther had taken him as that. Uh, His father wanted him to go to school and study law. He wanted to make a mark. He wanted him to be somebody. So you go to school. Well, nothing wrong with school. Nothing wrong with being a lawyer. I better say that. There's a lawyer in our midst here today. (laughs) Some lawyers are actually really good. And thank the Lord, we have a great example. I'm not talking about Audrey Hamlin. (laughs) education oh it was so important (coughs) is important but boy when they're not teaching the real truth it's very frustrating isn't it at his school you had to speak Latin whenever he was sent to school by his father not too unusual but they were never to uh, speak German there their native tongue and if they did they would uh, have to wear a crazy outfit, a crazy hat, and uh, they would be ridiculed and mocked and uh, until they would find somebody else that would be speaking in German and then they'd put it on them. Anyway, there was high pressure there. Um, he was so conscious of sin. It was eating him up. Uh, a lot of the other ones, they wanted to escape sinful things, so they'd be thinking, we need to go to a monk school. We need to go to and practice monkery. And um, that's the way we'll get away from temptations. Well, he was still at school yet, not in the monastery, but he returned home. It was in 1503. He's about 20 years old. He had a sword attached to his belt. And he was walking along and he stumbled. He fell. The sword cut his leg, went right into a main artery and out gushed blood. Blood was just gushing. He had a friend with him. His friend didn't know what to do. He went to go get help. And Luther there just knew he was going to die. Blood was just gushing and gushing. You know what he did? He cried out, Oh Mary, help me! He looked up into heaven. That's who you go to. Because God is a God who you fear and He's not going to see me as one that I can be in front of Him. You know what? He did. He said it again. Oh, Mary, help me as He looked into heaven. Well, He lived on. Later He became converted. To, I'm just telling this ahead of time. After He became converted, He said, I should have died after I was relying upon Mary to help me. So he, he recognized that, boy, where was he at at that time? You know what? There was another time where he was struck by a, a lightning bolt. How many here have been struck by a lightning bolt? What's the chances of that happening? Well, it does happen. Chances are, probably none of us have. Could be. I'm not seeing anybody going, I did. But uh, we'll make it pretty close. Well, it happened to him. Well, it meant to him one thing. He thought he heard the voice of God and he went right to the monastery after that. He quit law school and his dad has been putting him up in law school and paying the money and he quits and goes to a monastery. That's the last place where his dad wants him to go. That's where he goes, to be a priest. So he's, he's scared to death. Surely this means I, I must go there. So he quit. He was considered to be kind of a beggar there. He had been so intelligent before. He didn't understand that salvation was a free gift of God. He was an Augustinian monk. He wasn't into Augustine theology at the time, but he did later start to read it. He was impressed by Augustine. Uh, without Augustine, the Reformation couldn't have started. 
because they borrowed so much from Augustine back in the 5th century. He had watchings, Luther did. He had readings, he had prayers, he had other religious things. If anybody is a righteous man, it's Martin Luther. At least that's the way he thought, but he knew he wasn't righteous. He hated God because he knew the standards of God are this. Be perfect, for the Father in heaven is perfect. Now that's in Matthew 7. How many have read that before? Uh, Do you think Jesus was kidding when He said that? You have to be perfect. But yet we go around and say, I'm not anywhere near perfect. We know that. But Martin Luther took that, saw it, and said, I'm not perfect. I can't stand before God. God's a righteous judge. I am not. So what he would do is run from Jesus and run to Mary. That's where he's still at. When he heard the name of Jesus, you know what he had rather have heard? He had rather heard the name of Satan, he said. He was scared to death of him. He knew he was a sinner. Somebody asked him one time, Martin, don't you love God? He says, love God? I hate Him! Martin Luther? Yeah. He didn't know God was a Savior. He didn't know His grace. You can say, well, how come? It's it's all over Scripture. Yeah, but also it shows in here God's a judge. What do you do with that? God's holy. I'm not. But God has a Savior. And He can take His righteousness and put it on me. He didn't understand that yet. So he's still trying to be right with God. And he ran into um, this one man by the name of Stoppitz, who was a really good friend of him, uh, uh, one who helped teach him some things of, of Scripture. Stoppitz tried to get Luther to look at the cross and to see the grace that's offered there. Luther said he couldn't come to Christ until he became a better man. Have you guys ever heard of that? Well, I'm not going to go to church until I become better. I'm not going to accept Christ until I uh, get clean my act up. Well, they never will. You can't do that. He has to do it. He says, I have not yet re- repented sufficiently enough. What Scripture say? Yeah, we are to repent. Well, how much is enough? You'll never have enough. We are so sinful. We need grace. And stop us. Stop it. Ask this. Why do you torture yourself, Martin? Look at the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. Look at the grace of God that there is at the cross and He will appear to you. Christ came to save sinners. Love God and He will give you the repentance. He will grant you repentance. Mercy offers freedom, doesn't it? Mercy offers freedom from sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, we're all headed to hell. And just like Luther got right, most people don't get that right. It's a blessing to know that God is holy, I'm not, I'm on the way to hell. And that's where mercy comes in. You don't get what you deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve hell. That's because in Romans 3, it says there is no man righteous. No, not one. That whole interlude into there until it starts showing how we are righteous. We become righteous. But he did get that part right. But he couldn't get the grace matter. So you know what? He keeps reading. He keeps studying. Reading more stuff. Talking to people. By the way, when he confesses sins, I've said this many times, but he would go into the confessional, confess his sins, that could be for a couple hours. Then he'd walk out and he just remembered another sin that he didn't confess. And he'd go right back into the confessional. And he'd walk out and he would have a bad thought. And guess what he did? Right back into the confessional. Some of the priests started getting mad at him because he wasn't pulling his weight. He spent all this time in the confessional. And they were saying, you're lazy. <laughs> it was tearing him apart. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Do you see what God was doing? He was showing him that he was an awful sinner. Even though as righteous as he looked, he did everything good. I mean, if anybody could get into heaven, it should be Martin Luther. Just like Saul was before he became Paul. 
Well, he took a pilgrimage to Rome and he's excited about that. This is the elite place to go. This is the ultimate Rome, right? You've got to make that trip to Rome. He could get indulgences for his relatives. Wow! And they can have their sins, many sins forgiven and there'll be less time to spend in that holding place. This, this place where he went, where all those 28 steps were at, was called the Scala Sante. And that was a famous place. And they would crawl up on the steps one by one, just like on, on rock. They had bruised and bleeding as they would suffer. They would suffer for Christ. And in return, the, uh, the indulgences would help free souls out of hell or out of that holding place that they have. When he got to Rome, he said this, Holy Rome, I salute you! Look how God's working in this. Look at the providence. He was when he got there. He got to thinking, "Oh wow, my mom and dad are still alive. I'd like to uh, get their sins uh, remissed somehow by doing this." But they're still alive. So he thought of his grandpa. Okay, I'll do it for my grandpa, and maybe I can get him a thousand years uh, of, of, of more freedom there. Uh, there was one big stone there that had a cross on it. And that was supposed to have been where Jesus stumbled on whenever He was in Jerusalem. This is not really true, but these are the stories that the Roman church has made up. But that was a stone that they were supposedly have taken, taken to Rome, and uh, that's the Via Dolorosa, where Jesus had fell on. So each step they would say the Lord's Prayer. Each step that they would go on. You know, our Father who art in heaven. And then they would kiss it. So they got these holy matters. When he got near to the top, all of a sudden, that verse that is found in Romans 1, verse 17, that he had been studying, hadn't gotten it into his head yet, but he kept repeating this verse. For in it, the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written... The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. What's he doing? He's doing works. He's doing this thing so there can be remission of sins. And he started seeing how corrupt Rome was as he was in the city. There were priests there who had kids just running all over the streets in Rome. They had all sorts of kids. All sorts of, not necessarily wise, but women they had illegitimately. And Luther, who took things seriously, said this, if there is a hell, Rome is built over it. What did he think of Rome before? This is holy Mecca. I mean, this is it. And he walks out of there and he's disillusioned. Do you think God is working in this? Now he's shaking his head. He says, the nearer you get to Rome, the greater number of bad Christians you'll meet. (laughs) Totally disillusioned. And he still trusted in Rome's doctrine. He knew he's a sinner. God was so righteous, God was still going to judge his sin. He was fearful of God's wrath. He was scared to death of God. He was scared of the judgment seat of God. Are you guys scared of the judgment seat? Are you scared of what might happen when you get there? Yeah, I think I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I I don't know that judgment seat I'm scared of. How can a Christian be scared of that? We have been judged. Our sins were judged at the cross. He doesn't get that yet. He knew about the doctrine of election. Luther really took that in. Remember, he started reading Augustine, but he started reading the Scriptures and he couldn't deny that election is there. You know what his response to it was at that time? He hated it! People do when they first find out what it is. You mean God is in control of my life? He's in control of my salvation? Surely not! It's got to be me that satisfies God. And he went on to say this. 
It is not against all natural reason that God out of mere whim deserts men, hardens them and damns them as if He delighted in sins of such torments of the wretched for eternity. He who is said to be of such mercy and goodness, this God who has this mercy and goodness, this appears iniquitous, cruel and intolerable in God by which very men have been offended in all ages. And who wouldn't be? I was myself more than once driven to the very abyss of despair as I wished I would never have been created. Love God, I hate Him! Martin Luther. Do you know he understood a lot of truths and until he was regenerated, he hated those truths. He says, here's a God who deserts men and hardens them and damns them. He delights in their sins and He he loves to send them to eternity, the wretches that they are. And He's not mercy and He's not good. He's iniquitous. He's cruel. Have you heard people say that if I don't want that kind of God, if that's what He is, He's that kind of a cruel God. He's not cruel. He is all good. He is all merciful. None of us deserve the grace of God. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting something what? Mercy and grace are tied together. We deserve judgment. He gives us grace. And Luther is still trying to understand this. God is angry at man. What started turning him around? What scripture? We know that Romans 1.17 is really working on him. Go to Psalm 22.1 and you'll hear a scripture here or read a scripture that you are very, very familiar with. He read this. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And his interpretation is right. That is a prophecy of Christ. When he would be on the cross... 700 years, or 1,000 years, this was written by David in the Psalms, 1,000 years before Christ, and then Christ quotes this passage. Why have you forsaken me? My God, my God. Man, a priest came up to him and said, Man, Luther, I don't know if he said it in our vernacular, God is not angry with you. You are angry with God. He read this. The Psalm 22 1. And all of a sudden, a flash of lightning streams of mercy just flowed into him because he recognized, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew that God demanded righteousness. He knew that, right? We've been pointing that out. And that righteousness is what Christ had, right? God the Father forsakes him at that moment and and that's his very son and it finally came to him that the price of sin was paid for right there and all of a sudden I think you have a conversion there that really made an impact he's a changed man he understood grace that was the tower experience life has changed. He's still very Roman Catholic. You guys still with me? Do you see how God's working all through the life of Luther? And we know we came through different situations too. But it's amazing how God brings us to Him. He was not ready to leave the Roman Catholic Church at this time. No way. No way. There's no other church. This is it. But His preaching as he was teaching in his seminary, as he was teaching the people in the church, he opened up Scripture and he taught Scripture. And he told them to look unto Christ. And their own righteousness would not save them. How does that go against the grain of Roman Catholic theology? Romans 1.17 says what? For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As is written, the just shall live by faith. You'll live by faith. It's not works. 
You can't come to Him by your righteousness. And it's really making an impact. And all of a sudden, he starts get, getting some help from certain men who knew Greek as well as him and even better. And they studied this passage. And all of a sudden, it, it's opening right up. He's starting to teach the book of Romans. He's believing the book of Romans. And he got this doctrine changed completely. He's understanding justification by faith. Now, in Wittenberg, there's uh, this understanding there's like 5,005 relics and all of a sudden, you know, in the Roman Catholic Church, you have the, uh, the thorn. They have this thorn that's supposed to be from the genuine crown of Jesus whenever it went into His scalp. And they had that. Uh, that was like 1,500 years after that happened. They had hair from Christ. Every little relic you can get, that's how much closer you can be to God. Uh, they had hair from Mary's hair. They had bread from the Last Supper, they said. And a twig from Moses' burning bush. And milk from Mary's breast. And if you would go there and see all these relics, you could get over a million years of freedom from purgatory if you'd go there and examine those. What do you think of that? Now, at the same time, sale of indulgences is happening. So what is sale of indulgences? That's what the 95 Theses were, are going to be about. Um, you have a guy by the name of Tetzel who is uh, selling indulgences to German states. He's coming from Rome. If you committed a horrible sin, you just needed to pay money. You get this and you'll get your sins forgiven. And Tetzel is saying, I'll forgive your sins. Today in the Catholic Church... The priest is the one who forgives your sins. He absolves your sin. That's why it is so important to believe in the confessional. That's how you get your sins forgiven. Tetzel came into town with drums. He came in with incense. Has these indulgences that he can sell to them. And he says, come and buy. And the people were flocking there to get some sins taken care of or for their relatives. This has, matter of fact, Tetzel said, this has the same saving power that Christ had on the cross. Man. Heresy, right? He says, you put your coin in the coffer and souls will spring out of hell. Luther was angry over this. Before he wouldn't have been, and now he is. Making money for the Pope. That's what it's about. Selling indulgences to the poor. You know the health wealth gospel today? Do you know they're doing the same thing? You can turn on your TV or listen to the radio, the ones who are teaching the health wealth. You know who many of them are. Anywhere from Joel Osteen to Creflo Dollar to on and on and on. You send in your money uh, or you'll get a, a handkerchief from them so you can pray with them. But make sure you send money in. One man asked Tetzel, you got to like this, one man came up and said, Hey, listen, can you pardon a sin for me that I haven't committed yet? Well, Tetzel, being the bargainer that he was, started dealing with him. So they doing some bartering and he got the price up pretty good there. He said, Yeah, yeah, I, I can do that. For 30 crowns, he was given his letter of indulgence. And Tetzel said he had full power to do that himself. He could do that. Well, the man... Later on, got a bunch of friends together out on the road and they attacked Tetzel. They beat him up and stole a whole chest of indulgences and ran away. Well, they went to court. And Tetzel started complaining in court, of course. And the magistrate that was in court decided this. He fully acquitted the man because of the indulgence that had been granted to him, he was already forgiven. <laughs> Incredible, huh? Luther started asking the Pope, if you're really generous and gracious, then why don't you just free everybody with indulgences? And so Luther started telling the people about indulgences that were, they were absolutely worthless, it would do them no good, and the war was on between Luther and Tetzel. And this is about the time where he did the 95 Theses. Most people are aware of that. He nailed them to the door. We had that picture up earlier. That was in English. <laughs> he did it in German. 
Uh, you can say, oh, now this is where the Reformation started. Well, it was October 31st. And today is October 31st. Um, did you, you think he was thinking, that, okay, I'm going to start a Reformation now. And I'm going to break out of the Roman Catholic Church. No. No, this is a common thing to do. You get, he put up 95 propositions, raised up in a public forum, and raised them to the door, inviting everybody to come and let's do a, a debate. It's like a blog today. Okay? And people can reply back. Um, we're going to talk about these things. Well, that's the most conspicuous place you could do it. Everybody said, okay, you know, uh, he wanted to get attention. He was very angry about this, uh, the, the idea of indulgences. So let's get a forum. Very routine. Just, let's just challenge us to a debate. Uh, at the time, the printing press is becoming into play. And here's God's sovereignty and His providence. Because students got a hold of this and got this around not only in the countryside, but I mean it spread everywhere. And they made a big deal about it. Listen, when students in seminary know there's going to be a debate over a hot issue, man, they're going to be there. Pope Leo got a copy less than four weeks later. Didn't have email then, otherwise it would have gotten to him in a second. (laughs) Tetzel said, the man's a heretic, Luther's a heretic, why don't we go and take care of him? The Bible actually became subject to the Pope's interpretation. Still stands today. The war is heating up. Luther really thought what he found was going to be heard by the church. Everybody was going to see his way and things were going to change in Rome. He questioned the unquestionable. He shouldn't have done what he did. Going to upset the apple cart. He's not trying to upset the apple cart. He's not trying to leave Rome. Even all the way up to this, he's a saved man. Luther was summoned to Heidelberg in 1518. Then he was summoned to Augsburg. And finally in debate with John Eck in Leipzig, Luther had to be silenced. When he was brought to Heidelberg, they wanted him to recognize his error and confess and repent that welcome him back in. He was breaking with his order, his monkish order. He was now asked to recant by the church as he took a stance on the very authority of the Word of God. The church said the Pope was above all Scripture. That's what they said. Luther hotly debated this. So a cardinal was threatening Luther of excommunication. You know what excommunication meant? You're not only out of the church. You're not only losing your job as a priest and a teacher. But it's going to mean your life. Luther was not afraid. And you know what he did? This is where Luther, you know, they had cartoons back in those days and they got spread around. Remember, we have the the printing press now going. The cardinal was no more fitted to handle the case than a donkey playing a harp. And somebody got a hold of that, put it in a cartoon, and that spread everywhere. Now Luther is really in hot water and trouble. He knew he was going to be coming to a complete break with Rome. It's starting to hit in the mind. The real debate with was with John Eck at Leipzig. He had loads of books. Eck had loads of books. They had a real debate. And I mean a real debate. It went for days. And you come up there and show your and they put Luther's books out there, you know, and showing where he was wrong and his his uh, he had errors there in his writing. And so they went back and forth. Uh, Luther's still thinking he's right. He's convinced that they're going to see that he's right. And he could see that the Pope is not going to agree with the way that the Catholic Church has gone. He now is starting to realize, though now, this is going to cost a price. And at Leipzig, he knew he couldn't count on the Council. He couldn't count on the Pope. He's by himself. The conviction hits home. Councils could err. And he was 
thrown back on his own. He's a reformer, like it or not. What does it take to make a reformer? To be convinced of the truths and then be willing to stand for them no matter where that heads, even death. Luther took a stance to the commitment of word to the Word of God and he was taken to the diet of worms and that sounds like a meal, doesn't it? But uh, got to understand in Germany, uh, two years later, he was officially excommunicated. It was assigned by the Catholic Church he's going to hell. They made a pronouncement on his soul he's going to hell. That's what it was to be excommunicated. This was a tremendous test on Martin Luther. You can imagine how it must have worn on him. He had one last chance to recant and this is where he stated that great statement. One of the greatest statements that uh, is known. Some say this is not exactly the right wording, but I will read this. I cannot and will not recant anything for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me God. Now he knows he's probably going to die. Here I stand. And I think as um, many of in Reformed theology today, John Gerstner says, this is really where the Reformation took place. When he said, here I stand. Now can we say that? Here I stand. I am committed to God's truth. Are we so committed that we're willing to follow Him no matter what? Forget yourself, take up the cross and follow me. That's where Luther did it. He faced excommunication, but Frederick the Great in Germany, there's Rome, there's Germany, they're at odds anyway. He saved his physical life by capturing him, making it look like a bunch of thugs. They took him to a castle and he was held in exile there for a while. And God, in His great sovereignty and providence, had Luther to convert the Word of God from Latin, which was not what the common man read in Germany, and he put it in their language. So he translated the Bible for him. Translated. Can you imagine them reading the New Testament for the first time, being able to read what he's had? And that, so he was, he was given enough time to do that before he couldn't have. And if he'd been doing his own thing as is reforming, um, he probably wouldn't have had time to do this. But there were other people that had uh, come underneath Luther's teaching and there were thousands of them. And all of a sudden, the Reformation had broken out. It broke out so hard that it kind of got out of hand. And when Luther could, he got out of that castle, Wittenberg Castle, and he returned to Wittenberg to get things back in order because they were actually torching churches and doing some damage that really wasn't called for. Um, by the way, Luther had not been married. You know, one of the reasons why he had not been married, even though he was now free to be married, because he's not a priest anymore, uh, because he had been he had been threatened. Matter of fact, he he thought he was going to die. About that same time, a group of twelve nuns escaped the town there in Germany, and one of them was one who Luther later married. And uh, that that is uh, Martin Luther, not a perfect man. He said some things that are probably uh, pretty bothersome sometimes in the way that he said it. We gotta gotta know the culture. We gotta know the, the man that God had to use to to do that. He's not going to use some kind of wimpish kind of person. He's got to use a Type A personality to do what he did and stand up. Um, he disagreed with Zwingli over communion, and uh, um, I think Zwingli said that Luther was trying to reestablish popery, so they were at odds. And Zwingli wanted to establish peace with Luther, but he wouldn't. Luther wouldn't even shake his hand. Uh, Luther said he was of a different spirit because they didn't believe in the, the communion. Luther believed in that. That is actually the body and blood of Jesus Christ. This is the body. This is the blood. This is the body. Luther would repeat that over and over. And until uh, the time that he died, that's what he believed in, and he made it a major doctrine. Uh, and that split the Reformation. You had the Lutheran side, and then you had the other Reforming side. 
that didn't see that as a literal, it's really pretty well close to being Catholic, all it's called. It's not called transubstantiation, it's called consubstantiation. Um, I know technically he tried to use different words, but you can't get around it. Christ is in that. He's, he's present. He's there. That was a, a problem. Listen, I said I was going to go to Romans. Uh, turn to Romans, and we'll finish up with this. This is a book that Luther taught from, wrote a commentary of, and it's about sin, and it's about a Savior. Romans is the classic work of theology in our Bibles. All in one area. The just shall live by faith. We already read that in 117. That is the heart of the theology. That started with what Luther did. The doctrine of justification by faith alone. Uh, This is the article. He said that the church either stands or falls. Justification by faith. You're justified because of the faith that has been granted to you. Not of any works. So, so therefore, you have the key phrase, sola fide, sola alone, fide faith. In verse 18, talking about the righteousness of God, in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. In verse 18, he says, yes, God reveals His righteousness, but God also reveals His wrath. It's against all sinners, all the ungodly people, the ones who are not righteous, not the ones who be declared righteous. They will uh, be judged. And He starts telling them it's been revealed to them. He has shown them in creation. He says in verse 20, it's clearly seen. His power, how great He is, he, the whole Godhead. They're without excuse. Any sinner is. They need to be justified. Well, in chapter, in this chapter one, we know that's where he gets all the way to the point of even homosexuality. You know, very explicit there that um, this this is the path of mankind, and they'll go for vile passions and men for men and women for women, and uh, they don't retain God in their knowledge. So God gives them over to base to base mind. Chapter two, he levels off on all the Gentiles. All the ones who were seemingly good people, all the ones who were bad people, and He just levels them down and shows they are nothing. They're not righteous, and they are underneath the wrath of God. So, the Gentiles are are guilty. In verse 17, well then the Jew would say, yeah, but we're okay because we're Jews. And he says, no, no, no. Indeed, you are called a Jew. Chapter 2.17 Rest on the law and make your boast in God and know His will and approve of it. You know all those things that God has taught you. You are not justified because you do all those things. You are in the same boat as the Gentile. You are a sinner. You need God's righteousness. The righteousness of Christ. Chapter 3 you're wondering how we're going to get through three chapters. And it's moving up on noon. <laughs> what advantage then has the Jew or what is the prophet of circumcision? What advantage do they have then? He says, oh, you, they have much advantage. But I want to tell you this. Look at verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. Are the Jews better than the Gentiles? No way. We have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they're all under sin. What does that mean? All of mankind. You're either a Jew, you're a Gentile, as Paul writes there. And it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, you are under the bondage of sin. And he quotes this, as it is written. There is none righteous. These are Old Testament. A series of Old Testament passages that hit hard and shows the depravity of man. Nobody deserves God. Boy, after this you say, what chance do I have? Well, this is where Luther was actually at all that time. But he didn't know the answer. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. He's starting from the head and he goes all the way down to the feet. Look at this. The poison of asp is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
Then he goes on to say that the law cannot justify them. He says in 20, No flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Was Luther there? He was for a long time. He was stuck there. And that's where everybody has to be brought to the fact that I don't care how good you think you are, have you loved God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength today with every ounce of your energy? No. You have not. Have you loved your, uh, your neighbor with every thought? Perfect love? Have you loved your enemy today? Well, all of a sudden, it starts being peeled back and we see who we really are. We break His law. And then, and then, after He says in verse 23, for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, that takes down every person, every man, woman, child that's ever been born and lived on this earth. And then He says this, and this is at the heart of the Reformation and it should be at the heart of our own reforming. Being justified freely by His grace. We're justified by being pretty good, right? No. No, not at all. It's by His grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, He buys and pays for us. Whom God set forth as a propitiation. Big word, but it means that God the Father is satisfied with the blood that was shed by His Son on the cross. That is propitiation. He was satisfied. It's been done. No other thing will please Him. That alone. It's by His blood, through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness. Remember, it's already been shown that nobody has righteousness. Because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The question is, well, if that be the case, if you're saying it's just by faith and I can't do anything, well, then there's nothing I can do. And he's, Yeah, there's nothing you can brag about. You can't say, well, I had... Yeah, but I believed. I, I repented. Yeah, you did, but why did you do it? You couldn't have done it. It had to be His regenerating grace and His power that came in that changed you so that now you can say yes to Christ. He says, where is the boasting then? It's excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Faith is granted. It's a gift. For by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That's grace. Gift. Faith is a gift. And that is what struck at Wycliffe, at Huss, <coughs> Savonarola, Luther, later Calvin, Zwingli, Martin Buser, the reformers all over Europe. It spread from Germany, England, Italy, just start Switzerland especially. Calvin was able to come along and then explain and expound and he introduced expository preaching in Geneva, Switzerland like nobody else had ever done. He preached the Word. He has a bad name today. And you ask yourself, why is that? Why is the church today as a whole either against Calvin or don't know anything about him or say, well... Uh, I'm against him because he doesn't believe in evangelism. One of the greatest missionaries that the church has ever known as he sent men into France, taught them, and and preached the Word where he was at. Uh, He was a man of God who taught Scripture. And people say, yeah, but he he murdered a man. Um, He didn't murder anybody. He didn't even have the power to do that. Yes, there was a heretic the Roman Catholic Church was after him so they could kill him. And he even gave him a chance. So what's wrong with John Calvin? If you understand the man and read his writings, you will find out that some of the uh, all, uh, the people down through history we cite along with, people uh, not only like what we have just mentioned, but then you get into John Owen, John Bunyan, who wrote that great work, Pilgrim's Progress. 
Then you go on all the way up to Spurgeon. C.H. Spurgeon. People quote him all over the place today. People who don't even believe um, some of the things that we've just taught. All the way up into today where we have Sproul and Piper and MacArthur and um, Alistair Begg and um, um, I'm trying to think of the guy um, that's uh, the guy in Chicago, uh, Lutzer, Erwin Lutzer, go on and on. Those guys are all on bot radio. They believe the same thing. We, we're not believe, teaching some foreign thing. We're teaching mainline theology where much of the church has forgotten and gone back to the way of Rome. They don't teach the grace matter. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us and that's the only way to God. Rome says anathema to that. The grace of God. Justified by faith and not anything else. Faith alone. Thank you for letting me take the time with that this morning as we take it a special time, October 31st. And I'd much rather remember what the Reformation did rather than what Halloween is. You know what I'm talking about? The world is lifting up Halloween today and we can say, look what God did. And uh, we don't lift up men. We lift up the very grace of God. Let's pray.